Welcome. This is Downstream, a podcast about the present and future of streaming media. This is episode seven for December 29th, 2021. I am Jason Snell, joined as always by Julia Alexander, Senior Strategy Analyst at Parrot Analytics. Hi, Julia. Hi, Jason. How how are you? I'm doing great. I hope you had a good holiday. We we recorded this before the holiday. <laughs> Pretend that you had a good holiday. Good Christmas. It was I I'm so much food. It was great. It was great. Oh, isn't it? Isn't it always? And it's almost New Year's. We basically we we are recording a bonus episode uh, and taking the time off. But we had some letters left around that we wanted to read, and we didn't get to them last time. So we're going to get to them now, and then we'll be back with a full on episode in a fortnight. Uh, here's letter number one. This is from Woody. What he says, my wife and I are big fans of Bob's Burgers, a show well known mm. for its holiday episodes or yes. timely. One thing I really appreciated this year is that Hulu has curated playlists. So in October, they had all the Bob's Burgers Halloween episodes in one playlist to watch back to back. And in November, all the Thanksgiving episodes. And again, now in December for Christmas, I love it. More services should have themed episode playlists. One thing I really want that I haven't seen on any service is a shuffle feature. I'd love to open up Seinfeld on Netflix and not have to choose which episode to watch. Just let me hit shuffle while I cook dinner. Like those old one or two hour syndicated blocks they used to have on Saturdays at 3 p.m. Mm. The Simpsons could really use this too and in fact i think it used to have it on fx now before disney purchased fox thanks woody what do you think playlists and shuffle this is something i have requested personally with like any executive i've talked to um for my own adhd mind uh because i agree with you like netflix brought in the shuffle feature but it just kind of shuffles to the first episode of like a new show or a movie it doesn't actually give you the ability to shuffle within a show like seinfeld which is a perfect example law and order is another one that i would just love to shuffle i don't want to think about it um and the other and the, and the other thing I want with the, uh, aside from a playlist is the ability to see what my friends are watching so I can kind of see like oh that's interesting kind of like what oh, Spotify yeah. does um and I don't know why they haven't instituted it yet you know there's like all these really cool features streaming services could employ like the idea of HBO Max introducing um um bumps again for their programming with like which is what they used to do on Adult Swim the idea of being able to set up your own block I love the idea of being able to be like I'm going to program uh, uh two hours like I'm going to sit in front of this TV and I kind of wanted to have my own Saturday morning cartoon special. I'm going to do what I can. None of these are there. And the only thing I can think about is that HBO Max is still trying to become a stable platform. Hulu is, uh, I think, undergoing a huge kind of uh, onboarding with the Disney Plus stuff. Um, Like all these other major tech issues are happening first. So the idea of them bringing in cool features is like no one can do it but Netflix at this point. Mm. I, I, so the playlist thing I think is brilliant, right? And like everybody should do that. They should do that for the same shows. They should do that for different shows, right? If for any holiday, any theme, you know, take all, if you've got a sitcom library and it's the Super Bowl, get every Super Bowl episode of like every sitcom. Maybe you'll expose people to a new show that they hadn't seen before, but they watch the special episode and they're like, not only could you do Super Bowl themed episodes, but you could also do all those episodes of shows that aired after the Super Bowl. Like there's so many different ways to slice this. And yes, I'm like, I'm a, I'm a huge believer in creating new kinds of serendipitous discovery. And so having uh, a Bob's Burgers Christmas playlist, uh, the Simpsons uh, Christmas playlist, Simpsons, all the Halloween episodes, right? Th- that should be so easy to do uh, as a user and, and they should build that stuff. And then for Shuffle, I will say this. There is sort of Shuffle happening in that some channels or some some services have linear channels that the whole idea is you just turn it on and it just plays things and you you don't control it. And 
you know, so if there's a Simpsons linear channel on Disney Plus, for example, uh, which there isn't, I think, but there used to be on FX now, you could just tune to the Simpsons channel and it would just show you Simpsons. And they might be programming it in the background to show specific episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you don't care. You just want to flip it on. I mean, because this is... The, as as dumb as linear TV was and how, how much better it is that everything is on demand, linear TV was not without its charms, right? <laughs> <laughs> and this is one of them, which is just, I just want to watch Seinfeld. Oh, there's two hours of Seinfeld on. I don't care what episodes it is. That'll be fun to find out what episode it is. I just, I just want to see it. I also think, too, like Peacock um, and all of them do do their own versions of like holiday playlists where they take certain episodes and they'll throw them into just one. You can kind of just go through it. But the other thing about this is they make it so difficult to find. Like they don't often put it on the homepage. Like you have to go and look for it. And uh, I wish that they would make that better because I totally agree. Like I want to watch random Super Bowl episodes or they're always like Thanksgiving, Christmas, Halloween. Like they'll find a way to do it. Um, And I just – think they haven't designed it very well so that people are aware of it. Like, I would just put it up top. Um, but I'm hoping yeah. that if anyone's listening to this who has any power into making these things happen, <laughs> we'd be thankful. Yeah, absolutely. It's good. I mean, this is, I agree with what you said earlier about how this is kind of table, they're doing table stakes stuff now in a lot of these places because uh, Disney Plus and Hulu and like everybody's scrambling with their interfaces. I know we've talked about it before. Like, other than Netflix, which seems to have it together. I'm sure behind the scenes, it's still quite a thing. Like so many of these services really are struggling with the software. They're struggling with the usability. They have, they are mature content companies that are not mature technology companies and they're working on it. But this is all the kind of stuff. Woody's suggestions here are perfect because it really is like, yeah, these are other needs. Not every need can be fulfilled by, I went and found the show I wanted and pressed play. There are other needs that are not number one, but they're a little lower down on the list, but they are there and they need to be fulfilled and they can be great. Like streaming can do that thing, can emulate the great thing about linear TV and do it in a better way. This is, uh, uh, you know, you mentioned Spotify. Um, One of the great things about some of these playlists is like, unlike linear TV, you can do things like if you get to an episode you don't like. Just press next episode. I know. And you can't do that listening to the radio. If you don't like a song, you can't press next song. But on Spotify, you can. And and so that's – you can outdo linear and still get that linear experience. So, yeah, Woody, we're with you. If anybody out there is listening, help. We also apologize to every creative listening whose heart we just broke. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, I, I, get, I get it. When, when something is new, you want it to be – you want it to be loved in that way. But I think creative people who have created something that is now a catalog title, I think personally they're pro- they're probably delighted that people find it comforting, that people want to just be served up a random episode of something. Like, that is the, the sort of afterlife of this material. After it's been chewed over by everybody on release, it leads this second life where people are fond of it and they just want to have it around and 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 warm their hearts at a particular time of year or yes. a particular situation in life and like I think it's good it's good I think it's good I think they'll be okay with it <laughs> I'm not saying like let's just random select shows that are currently airing that are like prestige dramas it's not quite what I'm saying but uh yeah uh David wrote in we have two David letters I don't think it's from the same David but I can't be sure uh David said what about the death yet still popular 
of 22-episode-long seasons. Shows like Friends, The Office, Seinfeld, streamers uh, we mentioned last time, Supernatural. Streamers pay huge money, so they must be popular, yet I can't think of any current shows in production that I can think of that have a similar build where you just live with the characters and things mostly reset every episode. Yes, there are story arcs, but it seems like networks and streamers are only interested in producing shows that have a long arc and a tight 10 or 12 episodes and the characters are always doing something in service of the arc. Sure, having shorter seasons gets rid of some bloat, like some episodes have lost. Fair. Uh, it still feels like much of what is produced is just a mini series in service of a larger story. Maybe I'm getting old, I'm 38, but I kind of prefer just dropping in on the bar or the starship or whatever to see the lives of characters I enjoy over the continuing story or mystery of the six-hour mini-movie that each episode ends on a cliffhanger. That is from David. Um, They do still make 22-episode seasons, but only on broadcast in the U.S., basically, it seems like now. But I think this is a great question, Mm -hmm. which is, if long runs where Supernatural does 300 episodes, and I know that's extreme, or 22-episode seasons, if they have so much streaming value, why does nobody want to buy them all? They are expensive uh, and mm. and trying to so to run a show for that long often, especially if the show becomes popular, um, we often learn from uh, the biggest win for the Big Bang Theory cast. Uh, but you're you know, you're paying a million dollars, two million dollars an episode, right? Like you get into a point where your the salary goes up, which, again, great for talent um, and production costs is still the same. Marketing costs is rising a little bit. So everything becomes much more expensive. And when your budget's already being increased every year because you're just trying to get more content, there's this need to kind of be like, is this show doing what it needs to do? And are we really going to invest for three, four or five years? The other thing that's important to remember about the 22 episode network shows that ran for, you know, nine seasons was once they got to the fifth season or about a hundred episodes, they could, um, uh, oh my God, they could syndicate it. Forgot the word. They could syndicate that show. And so all of a sudden they were making additional revenue that they didn't have to worry about. That show was out there. It was being rerun on, you know, TBS. um, And that could help pay for future seasons or whatever they wanted to do with it. That's not necessarily happening on streaming anymore. Those exclusive series are not being licensed out. They are designed to do a few things and they have to accomplish those few things to really keep going. Now, there are series where they are running at a, you know, cost effective kind of just making, uh, just, just um, getting by uh, revenue and but they're bringing in a lot of prestige they're bringing a lot of emmy nominations they're bringing in a lot of all these other things that companies really like and so they'll kind of go well we're going to run you for five seasons because we are getting all this thing out of it and then we're going to cancel but for the most part if it's not you know bringing in that level of pr- prestige if it's not leading to ma- a big increase in signups or people are are um com- coming back to it time and time again like you know friends or the office or whatever it might be those types of shows uh they're not going to invest in it we have rare ones. The one I will add, the, I'll speak to is uh, Lucifer, right? Where Netflix goes, we see something in Lucifer. We're going to buy it from Warner Brothers TV, although it was airing on Fox. Um, we're going to take this over, and it's going to be our exclusive thing. We're going to work out all the international deals uh, or rights issues and kind of go with it. That show ran six seasons, you know, six and a half if you kind of look at it, um, and it did really well for Netflix. It's an international kind of global franchise hit for them. They could do a spinoff if they wanted, and there and there's something there. But the idea of getting to 22 episodes, 28 episodes minimum, which is not going to happen anymore, uh, really. Yeah. I mean, I think in the other part of that, and then I will let Jason speak because I talk too much on podcasts. But <laughs> podcast um, is great. The other thing I will speak to is 
networks, when they have their shows, right, part of the reason they run the 22 episodes is because they are they need advertising all year and they're filling time. And so they're mm-hmm. like, 22 episodes, we give you. This is great. Advertisers have 22 spots to, to put stuff on. We're good. Um, and it fills our time slots. Streaming doesn't have that. They don't need that. They don't have like, this is where our advertisers are coming at 7 p.m., 8 p.m. on a Thursday. Um, so they can kind of go, well, we don't have to worry about that and we'd rather pay for less and ideally um, – better quality in, in a very short time frame, see how that goes, then pay for 22, 24 episodes up front. I guess what I would say first off is that um, I do wonder if the pendulum will swing back a little bit because as David points out, having volume can be a benefit of streaming. And I do wonder if some of what's going on now, and we mentioned last time about like Greg Berlanti's shows for CW and then making kind of more expensive, shorter run versions of those shows for HBO Max, if the pendulum might swing the other way and somebody might say, you know, what if you made more episodes for less and we got more volume? This is more of a volume play for us than it is. Uh, but but it seems unlikely that it's going to swing all the way back that way. I will say a couple of things. Nice trivia point, by the way. Why 22 episodes and previously 24? It's because it used to be that every episode, um, every TV show would go into reruns. And uh, if you double that number, guess what? You're almost at 52 weeks. Yeah. You You literally, it used to be that some shows did 26 episodes so that there would be uh, an episode and a rerun of that episode, and that's how you filled your time slot for the year. So that's why it is the way it is. And then we don't do that anymore. Um, and then the only other point I would make here is that culturally, the reason this isn't going to come back and the reason that we've all kind of adopted the British TV model, honestly, which was always shorter run of of shows, is a talent story, which is a lot of talented people don't want to be weighed down by a year long uh, like multi-year long commitment to a project and when you're an actor but also a producer but especially if you're an actor and you sign one of these contracts that guarantees for five or seven years if this show is successful you have to do it and they shoot so many episodes that you're basically working uh if if it's a, a drama you may be working nine months out of the year um and i mean woe is woe is me all of us work 12 months out of the year. But the point is, a lot of these actors, especially, and a lot of writers, they they work on varied projects. You're on a hit TV show, you want to have time to do a movie. And and in Britain, theater was one of the big motivators. And I, I think theater plus budgets is one of the reasons why British TV shows were always so small in their runs. But Everybody kind of likes it. Like, that, that's the truth of it. Yep. And now that movie and TV talent is mixed together like it didn't used to be, you have people who are super big talents who you can get for your TV show, but you can't get them for 22 episodes a year. That's never going to happen. You can get them for seven. You're like, all right, let's do seven a year then. And some years you might not even do it. You might do seven a year for two years and then miss a year and then come back for seven more. And like... That's why I think it's never going to really go back to 22 episode seasons. It's a confluence of all of these things, but the talent likes it. Um, the quality is better. Yeah. And so, and, and as Julia, you said, it's not, 
we don't live in a world where you need the filler the way you used to. The filler isn't actually necessary unless you're a linear TV network. Well, and speaking to your very excellent point, I mean, I think there was a reason that everyone tried to buy the first season of True Detective when it was pitched because it was attached already with Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson. And that was still relatively right. new. And everyone was like, we we can get these guys for one season. Movie stars and that's on it. TV. And that's what made the, um, you know, for its time uh, especially, that's what made the Kevin Spacey, Robin and write House of Cards deal yeah. so great. It was like, they're going to get uh, uh, right. 20 episodes up front. Like, we're going to give them 20 episodes. We're going to pay them $100 million. We're going to do this. Um, and we know they're not going to be there. And so I think, you know, but it's also, when we think about like all these shows that have really long seasons, I think what you're going to see a lot of happen is this will continue on the broadcast side because it makes sense. So you'll have shows like New Girl, which are still relatively newer, you know, How I Met Your Mother, which do get their long seasons. And then they become streaming stuff and you have your options to watch it there. Sure. Um, and there's some streaming stuff that has run long. You know, BoJack Horseman ran seven seasons, I think, or six seasons. Like, and they had a bunch of good episodes. And um, we may get back to changing it, but I think to Jason's extremely good point and to echo it. The talent doesn't want it. The companies, no. the, stu- the networks don't want it. The studios don't want it. The executives don't want it. I mean, don't get me wrong. The talent would loves the show that'll run many seasons because yes. that's a lot of money and it means that the show is doing well. But what they don't want is I always think about like Patrick Stewart, who, you know, it did make his career and then he went on to do a whole bunch of other things. But he was a stage actor, essentially. He was in a few things. He was in Dune and all that. But like he was he was an unknown and he got cast in Star Trek in the, ne- the next generation. And it did make his career. It really did. And he went on to have a wonderful career uh, and is back doing streaming Star Trek in short runs now. But for seven years, he could essentially do nothing but Star Trek. And he could basically only go back to England in in the spring during the hiatus for a brief period of time it the people who are on those kinds of shows it takes over your whole life the friends reunion they talk about how you know they got they were the biggest thing in in entertainment but they also were just grind and a sitcom's a little different because they only shoot it a couple of days it's not like a uh, some of these dramas where they're out there right all the time but still it's a it's a real grind and and Today, the trade-off is, I think about Only Murders in the Building, Mm -hmm. for example. Like, Steve Martin had never done a TV show. Well, why did he do Only Murders in the Building? Well, one is he had the idea and they worked on it together and he, he with some producers and they and they put it all together. But the other reason is it was what, eight episodes? Yeah. And now they're shooting season two. Like, that's fine, but he didn't have to commit. Like Steve Martin was never gonna say, Yes, I will sign up for a show that might completely control my life for the next seven years. He was never gonna do it, right? But now he didn't have to with only murders in the building. And and that is true of literally every uh, big name and even mid-level talent out there is like, what if I didn't sign away my life for seven years? Do you, you know where um, <laughs> the irony now is that that is being requested on the film side, right? They're like, hey, you want to join Marvel and do Marvel movies for nine years? Oh, yeah. But oh, no. um, there's a whole other conversation to be had about TV. Oh, so yeah. like, TV is like movies and movies is like TV now. But um, <laughs> the other thing where the, where I could see potentially where, <laughs> where I could see long running shows that are not like um, unscripted. Would be if the if the streamers and we don't know if they do other than Peacock if they wanted to get into procedurals, there's a healthy appetite to right. run the same type of cop show like or legal show or medical drama every single season. But the reason those play out so well on NBC and ABC and CBS is because advertisers love them and audiences t- over the age of 
you know, 45, 50 typically tend to like those shows. Um, and so there's a lot of younger fans who grew up, you know, I grew up with my mom watching Law and Order. So I watch Law and Order. It's probably my most watched show on Hulu without, without question is Law and Order. Um, and I would watch that as a Hulu exclusive. Like I would sign up for it. But is there that amount of demand amongst, you know, 25 year olds, 30 year olds right now who are signing right. up? Probably not. But I think if give it some time, I could see procedurals being a thing that gets, you know, eight, nine seasons running deep. Um, but again, to Jason's point, only if they're with talent who are not super big when they first signed on. You know, like if we think of SVU, um, Mershka Hargitay and um, um, I forget the man uh, who plays Elliot's name right now, which is Chris uh, Chris Maloney. Chris Maloney. They yeah. were not super big actors when they signed on. They became right. very big because that show, it's hard to, you know, you're taking a bet. You're hoping that pays off without the advertising revenue it's, it's bringing in, but... And you mentioned House of Cards. I think that's actually the other example here, which is House of Cards. They bought 20 episodes from Media Rights Capital. And one of my favorite shows sort of miss, uh, missed by a lot of people because it was on Star's counterpart. That was a yes. 20 episode sale. And that does happen. But what they do is they do two 10 episode seasons. Um, I would say that another scenario where you end up with a big purchase of episodes is something where they feel like they it's become successful and so they want a lot of episodes and they want them they want them now or there's a reason like a good example might be a show with a family where the kids are growing up really fast where you might order 20 episodes because you know by the end of it the kids are going to be too old something like that where actually mentioning patrick stewart they're shooting season two and season three of the picard show back to back and so they, you know, they, that's a 16, it's not 22, but it's like a 16 episode run. And they're doing that, I think, because they, the, of COVID delaying their previous shooting time and also Patrick Stewart not getting any younger and probably wants to be done with the project. And so they're, they're shooting it back to back. So you might see some outliers like that, but they're outliers. This is right. the short seasons are, are here to stay. Right. Uh, the, the upside of it, and because I watched a lot of British TV, especially when I was a kid, the upside of it is everything is more negotiable now because the seasons are so, so short. So you, the other thing that British shows did is they would have Christmas specials where they would bring the cast back. And they would have new seasons that were years after the old seasons. And you started to see that with American TV. And just like that is essentially that for Sex and the City. The X-Files did that. Like where you bring back a show for a short run like many years later, maybe, or maybe it's just two or three years later. They like take a little break and then they come back. And like if Sherlock ever comes back on the BBC, you know, Benedict Cumberbatch, he's a kind of a big star. Um, but would he agree to come back three or four years after they did Sherlock for another four episodes or something like that? That's much more likely. So that's the that's the flip side of it is that show that you that might have died and never come back again. It might end up having kind of a sporadic life for a, a lot longer. Yeah, like, and that's an advantage of having it be like less intense yeah, like, like it used to be. Search party, Arrested Development, you know, like they kind of all have their moments. I think... Um, and party it, Down is coming back. Yeah, Party... Sorry, Party Down is what I was thinking, not Search Party. Oh, yeah. actually both, ironically. But um, yeah, all these shows that are kind of like, hey, there's still this love for the show. Would you guys want to come back and do it? And the team's into it. I think that's actually a really good yeah. point is like, hey, we can tap into this IP. It's already established. You don't have to sell it. It has an audience. Um, and that keeps coming back. And at the same time, they're th what they're going to invest in, where a lot of their content budget's going to go is like 
putting $25 million into a a Game of Thrones spinoff, a a $500 million into like a Lord of the Rings thing where they're going, we're going to play big IP on TV and see how this plays out. Um, And I'm hopeful that if other shows get smaller budgets, they kind of find their audiences and can run for a little bit longer because they're not really uh, um, a threat to the pocketbooks. Um, But we'll see. It seems like the lifespan of shows these days in terms of how much time they have to find an audience, in terms of how many episodes they have, in terms of how much time they get to write it and and actually film it and then get out into the world is much, much shorter. Um, And I think quantifying art gets really difficult um, it always has been, and now it's exceptionally more difficult. So I think these shows need time to thrive and find their audience, and hopefully they'll get it. I'll also throw in, I mean, David mentioned in passing the what is just a miniseries or something like that, but like, I kind of like that that the form is so much more flexible now in terms of runtime, yeah. in terms of number of episodes, and in terms of whether it comes back or not. Like Loki is going to do a second season, which was a surprise to everybody. But some of these other shows, like WandaVision, um, I think that's great, right? Like where it's not going to be a movie and it would never have been a TV series in the old style, but we can get people in to do six episodes or eight episodes or whatever. Like, I love it. I, that's one of the things I love about modern TV is you have that flexibility to say, sure, book a Boba Fett. Right. We'll do that. It's only a handful of episodes and it's a one shot probably, but well, let's do it. And you can, you can do that. And in the, in the old days, anything you did would be a 13 episode order with options for seven years. It's like, no, 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 no. Um, so anyway, I think we're in a better place now, but I, I do agree every now and then you have that thing uh, where you're like, ah, oh, remember when my favorite sci-fi show would be on like a new season of Star Trek and it's 22 episodes and now it's 10. And like, that is kind of a downer. Also, they spent a lot more money now and it looks a lot better. <laughs> uh, so, and in the case of Star Trek and Marvel and Star Wars, there's another show coming right behind it, which was also not the case back in the day. So... We have one more letter, uh, again, from David. Don't know if it's the same David or not. Hi, David. Uh, Here's this letter from A. David. I recognize it as someone who still has a significant DVD collection. I may be pining for the good old days. J&R's DVD section in downtown Manhattan was a favorite haunt. Same, (laughs) same. But is there any discussion within the streamers about the pros and cons of physical media for shows? As a longtime fan of old TV shows with limited but dedicated fan bases, it saddens me to think some shows will disappear because physical media is no longer culturally a thing and streamers just disappear it down the memory hole. I mean... I'm not a believer that anything is going down the memory hole because the cost to to serve, and I think David had mentioned this in a part of the letter I cut out, like the co- the server cost to keep a thing on your service is not particularly great. Like it's it doesn't weigh down the hard drives to have it there. But I, I think this is a great letter in the sense of sort of like, what do you think about the idea of essentially owning content, especially on physical media? as we move to a more streaming-oriented world. I have really bad news for you, David, as someone who, again, also loved JNR's DVD section um, and as someone who has a lot of physical media. The conversations in a lot of um, those companies' boardrooms are no longer how can we amplify our revenue, amplify our our kind of – and, and you know, not, not – well – I'll get into this, but not significant revenue anymore, but, you know, amplify it and amplify kind of our brand via DVD. Those conversations are now, um, so Web3 
and NFTs are things. And how do we get into oh. Web3 and NFTs? Because we want to give fans the ability to collect, and this is where they're collecting. I mean, historically, HBO actually, part of the reason HBO survived a very tumultuous time, uh, which um, – Elder people who are listening will remember is the AOL Time Warner moment. Uh, part of the reason HBO survived was because HBO's DVD sales that they started doing with like The Sopranos and The Wire and Oz picked up really strongly. Like people who didn't want to buy uh, uh, subscribe to HBO were buying the DVD box sets and they were doing it in a sizable amount. And so they started to like lean hardcore into this business. You know, Disney looked at DVDs and then looked at the idea of the vault, right? Like Bob Chapek, who's the current CEO, like really championed the vault program, which for um, non-Disney stands, that's when Disney made something available on DVD and Blu-ray for a very short period of time. Then it went back into a vault for a number of years and you could not buy it, you know, outside of like eBay or whatever it might be. You couldn't buy it officially. Um, And so all these programs that were very important to these companies are just changing they're not going to stop releasing DVDs. Like there's still a market for just like how we were uh, in the previous episode, we were talking about how cable, there's still a sizable cable audience. And so they're, they're still trying to serve them. Um, but the conversation has shifted in terms of importance from, you know, what do we do with the limited edition box set? How do we do something that collects everything? How do we do a really cool movie um, to partnerships with like companies like, um, uh, Shout Factory or or even Criterion or figuring out like where can we like Mondo where can we partner to do something cool for people who want to collect this be in Walmart for anyone else and then also though like our priority is being on the next wave of of where things are going to be so if the next wave is entertainment in the metaverse and whatever that looks like and 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 web3 and nfts they kind of want to play in that realm so you'll see a lot of warner brother disney stuff really getting into it now and going like we want you guys to collect stuff too we want you to spend more money and give us money um so we're going to make this available in some way i will say that I, i think that most stuff will still get a release on physical media as long as physical media is a thing just because it's extra money but you're right it may be like limited to you know, limited edition steel books for the, like, it'll get more expensive and more elaborate because it's like box sets for, for music fans and stuff like that. And I think they'll be out there. There are people who don't have fast internet connections and there are people who, who want to own this stuff and put it on a shelf and I, sure, but like, will it ever be, it's never going to be anything other than a, um, an afterthought. And so if you're really counting on it, you're just going to have to cross your fingers and hope that it's going to be okay, but I don't think, in terms of the memory hole, I, I I'm hopeful that the we will have access to most of this stuff either via streaming services or because somebody's got the files somewhere and they put them on some internet site somewhere. Like that's the truth of it. Is if it's not on streaming, maybe somebody's got it somewhere and you can find it. But but yeah, I I get. I think what David's getting at here is really the thing. Like uh, as a fan of like news radio, right? A show a show that I love from the '90s from uh, NBC. Like that's on DVD, or at least it was on DVD. I'm sure it's out of print, but there are DVDs around that you can get. Um, and it went off streaming, although it's been on in a couple of places, at least some of them. But like that's a good example where like, well, if that DVD didn't exist, you just couldn't see that show. Um, but in the long run, I'm a believer that every single streaming service from every single entertainment company is going to decide that that catalog content has value even if it's incremental and what i'm really saying is everything will be available eventually because 
why not? And the bigger question about digital media specifically, which was when I was a reporter at The Verge, it was one of my favorite topics to cover and write about. And now as an analyst, it's kind of one of my favorite questions to ask people, um, is streaming media is by nature ephemeral, like uh, 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 by or uh, um, ethereal, I should say, like by no, ephemeral, by nature, it is like there, but it's also not. And I think what we saw happen with a lot of the um, episodes of sitcoms in particular over the last couple of years that are have been deemed like racially insensitive, that have been deemed um, just, you know, inappropriate now, those right. episodes get wiped. Like they are just taken off Netflix, yeah. they're taken off Hulu, they are removed from iTunes. And that gets into a conversation where it's like, unless you have the DVD or you've downloaded the episode, you don't have it anymore. Like it's just not accessible. And that conversation, I think, is much more prevalent than like what, you know, if I want to collect stuff. Because if you want to collect stuff, there's a way to find it always. But for people who don't want to, you know, who don't have a – think about it this way. Most people are not buying DVDs and Blu-ray players anymore. The people who are buying PS5s and Xbox One Xs are likely buying the ones without the actual like CD-ROM um, DVD drive. CD-ROM shows my age. The DVD drive. <laughs> um, and so they don't actually have anywhere to play a Blu-ray or a DVD. There's nowhere to actually watch it. So for them – the only option, you know, like new MacBooks don't or MacBooks like my, mine doesn't have a, a DVD drive. And so the only way to do stuff is via streaming or whatever it might be. And if anyone can just remove anything or edit it because that's what they do, like it's it's that's the availability and that's the accessibility to it. What does that say about us? You know, like Splash, which was this movie, this Tom Hanks movie from like 1986 was on Disney Plus and they like covered up the butt in a weird way because yes. it was on Disney Plus and they had to like move it around. It's like that is an insane thing for a company to do. You are editing work. It's no longer what it was. Um, and so I think that's a conversation that needs to come up with physical media and streaming. Right. I mean, it's almost like the physical media is a proxy for permanence and accessibility of content, um, which I, I think whether it's whether it's available as an iTunes purchase or whether it's uh, on a streaming service or whether it's a DVD, there's this idea of like, well, what if it if it goes away never to be seen again or it cha it's changed and you can no longer get the version that you want to see you get this weird version that was modified later for for 2021 for 2022 reasons instead of like what the original intent of the director was uh, um yeah i've got i've i bought all of community on itunes yeah. and i have uh i have the episode that they deleted and uh, I find that because because I bought it, but you can't buy it now, I think. But because I bought it, I have it. But yeah. it's one of those things where they, that's because they learned the lesson, which is they can't just delete something I bought. So they're going to let me have it, but they're not going to let anyone else ever buy it because they decided that there was something wrong with that episode. By the way, my opinion is that there isn't anything wrong with that episode, but that's a whole other story. Um, but the, the thing is, it's just gone. Like, will it ever come back? Who decides? Who decides that that's okay to watch right. uh, or not? And yeah, that I think that's a, a larger problem that we're all going to have to deal with. So thanks a lot, David, I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> thanks a bunch. Can I admit, I'm going to admit something here that's probably not um, kosher, but I think it's allowed, which is um, some shows that I like, I will download them. Yep. I pay for the service, but I download the files because I kind of want to have a local copy of the show that I like that doesn't rely on the streamer and the network. Yep. 
and, I, and and sometimes it's to transfer to an iPad so I can watch it on a plane because quite honestly, the apps are really bad at that. I mean, the, the short version is like if I want to watch Star Trek on a plane, I'm more likely to YouTube DL Star Trek Discovery, put it on Plex, copy it to my iPad and then watch it on the plane than I am to hope that Paramount Plus's offline viewing mode works because it doesn't work. <laughs> um, and that's just, you know. That's that, but that part of that is just in my head of like this isn't permanent. I'm paying for it, but I want I want it here where I can see it. <laughs> it, it yeah, I um I haven't downloaded episodes, but I have a lot of friends who do the exact same thing, and they started doing it actually after all the episodes started disappearing, and they were like, I just want all of this, like I can have it, it's mine. Yeah. I want to be able to watch it, and I. That I think that's that is absolutely crucial. It's why people, you know, I think when people buy stuff, it's because they want to own that version of this thing and be able to return to that version that they remember. Um, this is where we insert the debate about whether Han shot first, and he did. Um, <laughs> and so, like that whole situation kind of comes up again and again. It, it will come up even more in, with streaming, um, where shows are just, you know, think about the fact that shows get removed from one streaming service and then don't go anywhere else for like six months. We were talking about this with Star Trek and the amount of people who bought Friends on iTunes, right? It was like in January yeah. 2020 because HBO Max hadn't launched yet and there was six months with or five months without it was insane. Like I, people were like, I'm just going to spend 80 bucks or 60 bucks and buy the whole show. Like I'd rather just be able yes. to have it. Yeah, and those are digital copies. But like I said, I think that oh, yeah. that we've realized that, that – uh, they're not going to take those away from you because that would be really bad. Yeah. But there is the possibility it has happened before where they've things have gotten deleted off of a service and they give you a refund. But like, but you lost your thing. You lost your show that you bought. And what the point was to have it. Yeah. So it's 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 a little bit sketchy to just have the digital version, but it's better than nothing. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that is going to be our end of our little uh, truncated uh, special letters only uh, section. But we got we got more letters, uh, more international content. We got a lot of stuff coming for you in 2022. I think it's going to be a fun year of downstream talk. Uh, please write us your letters though, because we love it. Uh, you send an email to downstream at relay.fm, or you can tweet at us at downstream pod, or just go to relay.fm slash downstream and click the contact link. We will be taking. Uh, oh no, we won't. We this is that. Never mind. I'm gonna edit that part you can find julia at loudmouth julia on twitter and of course at parrotanalytics.com you can find me at jstell on twitter and at sixcolors.com and that brings us to the end of the show happy new year to all julia happy new year happy new year everyone we will talk to you in 2022 see you next year 